It is our privilege today and throughout this revival series to have Reverend Mark Bain as our guest speaker. And to our radio listeners and internet listeners, uh, normally you, you hear either Pastor Lisa Autar or myself on the broadcast, but today, radio listeners, it is our privilege indeed to present to you Reverend Mark Bain. He has been and is a pastor. He is a church leader. He has served as district superintendent in the Church of the Nazarene, and currently, he is especially trying to inspire hundreds or thousands of churches across North America to start new congregations and to better reach out in our communities to help more and more people come to faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. So would you join me in welcoming Reverend Mark Bain. Amen? Thank you, God Pastor. God bless you, brother. Thank you, brother. Good morning. I feel like I'm in heaven. Um, I, I'm reminded of my church in Atlanta um, before I was elected as district superintendent in Joplin, Missouri, because we had a very diverse church. And uh, you know, what's happening here is very rare. Did you know that? What God's doing in your church is very unusual. You have, uh, you have diversity, which is almost impossible to find in the church of Jesus Christ today. And I just want to commend you, Pastor for your amazing gifts and the way that God's used you and your wife and the leadership team of this church. It's amazing. I just love being here. Uh, we had, when I left Atlanta First Church, when I came there, there might have been four or five uh, nationalities. When I left, two and, a year, two and a half years later, we had 38 first-generation nationalities in our church. And Man, you look like you have that here. So I'm just, uh, I'm excited to be here and be a part of this. I know there are probably some Jamaicans here I love. There are. I love me some Aki and fish <laughs> occasionally. I love every kind of food, so if I have the privilege of being in your home or being with you, it'd be a great honor for me. Um, Aki and fish is not my favorite thing, but I have eaten it. And, uh, I like all kinds of food, all kinds of seafood, uh, but uh, I'd just as soon fast all week and pray for God to do something great in this event. And uh, I have been doing that. God's been speaking to my heart. Uh, I wanted to start today, uh, you have a set of notes that you might um, want to use. We may not get to them all, but they're there in case we do. Um, as I prepared for this, I tend to over-prepare uh, when I preach. That doesn't mean I'm going to preach long. doesn't mean I'm going to preach short. I do preach shorter when I have more response. <laughs> Amen. And uh, so I always tell a congregation, if I begin to preach and I don't get much response, you're adding minutes every time you don't respond. So uh, I know that you're not concerned about time here, and I'm grateful for that. And, uh, but I, but I, am, I am excited to be here. And I, I thought I'd start today by sharing my story with you. But before we do, I'd like to read the Word with you. Um, and the Word comes from the Gospel of John, and this is the first chapter of John. And in this passage, uh, we'll start reading there in verse 14. It says, the word becomes flesh. Guys, that changed everything. When Jesus came to the world, that changed everything. That changed everyone's hope, everyone's promise, everyone's future. And so John is kind of sharing with us what happened when the word, when life, when God put himself inside of a man. And let me just remind you, when God put himself inside of a man, that was not done so that we could have a trophy to look at, but a model to follow. Somebody say amen. amen. And say ouch. 
That means it's true, but it hurts. Let's try it again. Amen and ouch. So, so um, I think sometimes we forget why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to be a, a trophy for us to look at and say, wow, you're awesome. We do that naturally. But he came to model for us what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to be fully in a human being. Somebody say amen. amen. That's what it is. So in, in John chapter 1 and verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh. I think you should say praise God. Let's try it again. I'd like you to respond to the Word of God. Isn't the Word of God amazing and, and wonderful and living and active and it brings life to us? So I want you to feel very free to loosen up because I love to have a good time in God's house. Amen? So let's try it again. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and beheld, we beheld His glory and the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Amen? Full of grace and truth. It says, John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And then the text that I'd like to focus on today is the following two verses. And his fullness, and all of his fullness, we have all received, and with grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? The law was through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I'm going to find another passage because I'm going to jump into it in just a moment. But sometimes uh, they gave me this crazy uh, phone cover, and uh, it doesn't respond well to my finger. Um, of course, nothing normally does, but uh, I want to uh, open up one more passage so that when we get there we'll be ready. Um, I, want to, I want to talk to you today about grace. Somebody say praise God. Uh, man, without grace, guess what? You would not even be breathing. Amen? Uh, I've learned that in my life that I have very little to offer to God. In fact, I have nothing. But He has a whole lot to offer to me. And that's something we're going to unpack this morning and throughout this week. I believe God has something amazing for this church. I, I'm, I'm just so overwhelmed with joy to see you come together and worship. I can't wait to see what God's going to do. Revival does a couple things for us. When the revival really comes, when the Holy Spirit really falls on a people, a couple things happen. One thing that happens is they start acting more like Jesus. Amen? So I want you to turn to somebody and say, let your Jesus out. Go ahead, just tell them. Let your Jesus. Because if you're a believer, you have Jesus in you. And one of the problems in the church is we kind of hold him back. We don't want to let him out. We're afraid that maybe if we let him out, we might start acting like him. And then people start treating us like they treated him. And that was good sometimes. Sometimes that wasn't good. I just tell people if they crucified the perfect man 2,000 years ago, we'd probably have some trouble. Amen? But we'll also have a lot of joy and see a lot of fruit. So I wanted to open this, this series because I want to pour my life and my heart and my, and my story into you this week, and I'd like for you to do the same. I really love to get to know new people, and I enjoy the, the, the presence of God's people, so I'm looking forward to being with you. And I hope we'll have lots of time to talk and interact and share and get to know each other this week. Uh, God's given us a week together. Isn't that amazing? We have, we have a whole week uh, every night. When I first got saved, I couldn't wait to come to church. I didn't understand why they didn't have church every night. I just couldn't understand it. Why? What's wrong with these Christians? Why don't you want to come to church? You get to be around the people of God if you could every day. And now it's just getting worse in the United States. People want to come to church like once a month. I'm thinking, why would you not want to be around these people? Amen? Because uh, you're good people. Just turn to the person next to you and say, I'm glad you came today. Would you tell them that? And I'm glad that you came today. So I want, I want to start 
Uh, hopefully I'll get a chance to share, to hear your story, but I'd like to start by sharing my story and tell you a little about who I am and where I came from so that you'll know who's talking to you. Um, pretty much nothing. I have nothing to offer except Jesus. In fact, you know, the scripture says that we really have nothing. In fact, turn to the person next to you and say, without Jesus, you're just sorry. Go ahead. Just tell them. It's just true. Uh, I mean, I know we don't like that. We'd like to think that we really have something going. But without Jesus, we have nothing going. Amen? That, that, and that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing is pretty sorry. And that's what we can do without him. Amen? But, but with him, we can do all things. Amen? Now, there's a phrase that I, I've used as a young man. Was, if, if somebody did something really great, like if they hit a home run, they came in, I'd give them a high five, and I said, I'd say, you're an animal. That means you're awesome. So I want you to turn to the person next to you that you just told was sorry. And uh, now I want you to turn to them and say, with Jesus, you're an animal. Go ahead, tell them. That's a compliment, ladies. I know you might. <laughs> the ladies are thinking, I don't know if I really want to be an animal. But I, I tried to help unpack what that really means. But I want to talk to you about grace because that's, that's who I am. I'm just a representative of the grace of God and the power of Jesus in my life. So I'll start by telling you that my faith journey started in, on July 22, 1959. That's when I was born. Because you see, when I was born, uh, before my, in fact, my faith journey probably started before that because my mother was a believer. And my mother prayed for me. And I don't remember those prayers, but I was in her womb. And the scripture teaches, a, uh, teaches us a thing called prevenient grace, that before we ever knew God, he was working on us and drawing us and trying to woo us into his presence. John 6, 44 says that, says that his spirit woos every person on the planet, uh, that no one comes to the Father unless his spirit draws them and pulls them in. So I just want to remind you today that every person in this room and every person in this city and every person on the planet that doesn't have an, an authentic personal relationship with Jesus Christ, in this very instant, God's Spirit is drawing and wooing them and preparing them for moments and opportunities for your encounters as believers. Somebody say amen. amen. That's, a, that's a biblical truth. It's a fact. And so God began to work in my life at a very young age, and I remember going to Sunday school as a little boy until I was about five. I remember going to vacation Bible school. But after five, my parents left the church, and, and uh, then I became a two-timer. Came to church twice a year, Easter and Christmas. And I came to church because they gave candy and fruit at Christmas, and Easter they gave chocolate. And so don't quit. Do, if you do that, don't stop. It's not worn out. It's not old-fashioned. It still works, I promise you. Uh, and I'll come if you invite me at Christmas and Easter if you give me candy and fruit. And, uh, but, but I remember that as a child. And then we got out of the church, and, and my life kind of turned uh, south. I, I, when I turned about 11 years old, I had an older brother who introduced me to drugs and started taking me to parties, and I started smoking, I think, marijuana when I was about maybe 9 or 10 I think I did my first hit of LSD when I was probably 13 years old. I started drinking when I was about 11, smoking when I was about 9. Uh, I had a very, very rough childhood. I grew up in a home with 13 children. My, my mom and dad had 13 children. Anybody beat that here? Anybody have more than 13 siblings? No? Ah, I win. Oh, we do have one. Great. We have a couple. Great. Good for you. Isn't it wonderful to come from a large family? You know, coming from a family like that prepared me for the church because we're a large family, all right? I got everybody here that's a believer is, is my brother and my sister, praise God. And I learned that as a very, very young child. Um, but, but I got out of church and, and, um, 
And I grew up very poor. We lived in a two-bedroom house with one bath. We didn't have a shower. We just had a tub. Now, there's history to tubs. Most of you don't know what a tub is. You only think of a shower. But we had a tub. We didn't have a shower. That thing wasn't on the wall up there. It was just this thing. And what would happen is I had, my father was very frugal. I called it cheap, but he called it frugal. And my father, whenever it came time for baths, he said, I'm only changing the water twice. And he says, it starts with the baby. I was number six, which means when I got in the tub, I was number seven. When I got in the tub, it was cool and there were floaties in there because six of my sisters preceded me in that tub. I don't think I ever took anything off in a, in a bathtub until I went to college and had my first shower. <laughs> I think I was just adding stuff prior to that. But I think, and I remember going to Trevecca Nazarene College and I took the first shower of my life. It was just amazing, man. I left feeling clean. It was just great. But that's how I grew up. Well, after that age of 12 or 13, I got involved with gangs. I started doing some pretty horrible things. I started uh, involved with some theft. We would steal cars. I would make some money by breaking into drugstores, stealing drugs, and then selling them. And I got really pretty messed up in my life and um, really, really in bad trouble. A lot of incidents happened that led to my faith. One of them was my brother passed away. He was 19 years old. I was probably about uh, almost 17 at that point. Actually, I was just past 17 when my brother passed away. I'd lived with him for six years. He was killed in a car wreck. My brother-in-law was also killed in that car wreck. So my brother was 19. My brother-in-law was uh, 21, and I went to their funerals back-to-back um, -back days. It was a traumatic time in my life, and here's what made it so traumatic. I went to those funerals, and I knew that I was not serving God. In fact, I, there's a picture of our family that we took the day that we buried my brother, Alan, because all my siblings had come to town from all over the country, and so they wanted to do a group picture at Olin Mills. And so we did this group picture, and I remember looking, and I was really kind of stoned out of my mind. My eyes were red and bloodshot. My hair was all... Oh, I was just, I was, I was a nightmare. But I'll never forget that day because the, the, the pastor who preached the sermon did something I've never heard a pastor do. Now, there were five boys and eight girls in my family, and my brother had just passed, so there were, only, there were four brothers in this, in this funeral that day. I'll never forget the message. You won't believe it. The pastor, it was a Nazarene pastor, bless his heart. He obviously didn't have the right training. <laughs> he preached a sermon on the rich man and Lazarus at my brother's funeral. You've never done that, have you, Pastor? Probably not. And, and I thought it was really good when we got to the part about if Alan was a Christian, no one knows someone's heart, but if Alan was a Christian, today he is being comforted by God. He's in the bosom of Abraham, being comforted and lifted. And that was all, it all felt real nice. And then he said, but if Alan wasn't a Christian, I want you to just think about what this did to me and my four brothers. He said, He's in hell praying that none of his brothers will come to this horrible place. Oh. You know what? That's, that's called prevenient grace. That's called God trying to reach out to me. And I sat there in that funeral that day and I thought, oh, God. You see, because when I was about that age, when I was almost 17, I was doing all right in my life. Like, I, I, was a, I was a tree surgeon. I climbed trees for 25 years and trimmed them off of lines. And, and I made good money. I made, when I was 17 years old, I was making between five and $700 a week. Well, I barely make that now. <laughs> I was doing good. I had 
everything I needed. Well, I'd get paid on Friday and I'd buy everything I wanted. I'd buy an ounce of pot and a couple hits of LSD and some beer and some food and pizza. And then on Monday, I'd be hungover and broke. That's, that was my life. And there was this emptiness, there was this void, this, this, this nothingness inside of me. And, uh, but I never turned to God. The Nazarene church loved on me, the little Nazarene church in Newport News. There was a lady there named Mrs. Lloyd. She was a junior high boy Sunday school teacher, and she loved me ever since I was a little boy. And even when I got out of the junior high boys class, she loved me. In fact, my house burnt down when I was 13, and all of my siblings were distributed to family members. They all took my siblings, my cousins, my uncles, my aunts, my grandmother and grandfather, but no one took me because they knew my life. They didn't want a, a, a 13-year-old drug addict in their home. You know who took me in their home? <laughs> Mrs. Lloyd, junior high boy, Sunday school teacher. She loved me. She loved me when no one else loved me. Is there any junior high boy, Sunday school teachers here? Anybody ever taught junior high boys Sunday school? Would you raise your hand? Raise them up. You may not have junior high boys or junior high. How many many of you taught junior high? Raise your hand at some point. Nobody's ever taught junior high around here? What would it be called here? Junior high. Junior high. So who's taught junior high? Raise your hand. Come on. Don't be bashful. All right. We have a couple. Thank you very much. That lady loved on me and got me, I think, got me prepared for this. Well, after I left her home during those six months I was with her, I got into really worse things. And and, uh, then... When I was almost 18 years old, uh, I was at Virginia Beach, and I had just purchased a couple of hits of blotter acid. It's a type of LSD, and I was really uh, using that every day, one hit of it. And I had taken my girlfriend to the beach, and I went to Virginia Beach that day. We, it's about a 45-minute drive from Williamsburg, where I live, to Virginia Beach, Virginia. And when I, when I went there, I, was, I went into a hamburger joint to buy a hamburger at lunch for me and my girlfriend. And as I went in, I encountered another guy. Now, I had hair probably down to here by then. And I walked into this restaurant, and I saw another guy who had hair down to here, but there was something different about this guy. I found out later they called people like that a Jesus freak. I was a freak, but I wasn't a Jesus freak. This guy was a freak for Jesus. And I, you could tell it by the look of his eyes. He just had a peaceful look in his eyes. So I walk in there, and I saw this guy, and he stopped me. He looked me right in the face as I'm walking up to this counter, and he says, excuse me, sir. He said, may I ask you a couple of questions? And I'm tripping on a four-way hit of blotter ass. I'm like, yeah, man. <laughs> I don't care. Whatever you want to do, you know. He said, do you know the Lord? Which angered me. And I said, that's none of your business, bro. I didn't come here to get a burger to talk about God. I came here to get a burger. You need to get out of my face. And I turned around. And when I turned around to leave, he grabbed my elbow. Now, in that day, I was in a gang you didn't put your hands on people. In my neighborhood, you didn't touch somebody like that. You didn't grab them for sure. And you didn't pull them. But he grabbed me, the audacity of this guy, to spin me around. And he said, there was a second question, may I please ask it? Of course, if somebody did that to me then, normally my response would be to come around with a right hook or something and defend myself because you don't know what's coming because you didn't disrespect people in my, in my neighborhood. But when I turned around and looked at him, it was just this amazing peace on his face that I just I couldn't respond that way. And I just said, okay, go whatever. He said, the Bible says the gate to hell is broad, and most people go there. But the gate to heaven is very narrow, and only a few people go there. He said, I just want to ask you the second question. Are you going to be one of the few that makes it to heaven? And when he said that, it's almost like 
everything that ever happened in my life began to flash before my mind. And I began to start thinking about my, for one of the first times in my life, I started thinking about my eternal soul. Because I'd forgotten about my eternal soul. I was so busy with my flesh. I was so busy having a good time living my life and enjoying the things of the world and the things of the earth that I'd forgotten that there's an eternity, there's a, that I have a soul that's going to live somewhere forever. And, and I had to think about that. And my mind went back to that sermon that I heard about my brother. And all I could think is I could hear Alan that I hadn't seen now for some months. I could hear him in my ears, in my head, crying, crying out to God in hell saying, please God, send someone to my brother's house so that they don't come to this horrible place. Because my brother lived a very wicked life and he died in a car accident with six other people. He was driving. He was killed instantly and he was very, very, very drunk and he was out womanizing that night. And it breaks my heart to even say that, but the fact is, I knew Alan very well. I lived with him. I lived in a house with him. I knew his wife. I watched his wife suffer under his unfaithfulness. And, and I knew that when that preacher said that, I just knew in my heart that Alan probably was in heaven. He was probably in hell. And if he was in hell, he was praying for me. You know, people in hell pray for lost people more than anybody on the planet does. Because they don't want anybody coming there. And my brother prayed for me, I'm just sure. Well, I heard those prayers and all these things went through my mind. And, and so, so when he said that, it's almost like that was like 10 days. It happened in 10 seconds. Everything in my mind flashed through. And I responded to this guy because as soon as he said that, I was instantly sober. A four-way hit of bladder acid was all of a sudden instantly out of my system and I was instantly sober. And I became very angry because I paid $35 for that. And so I cussed him out and I yelled at him and I turned around to walk out of the restaurant and as I was leaving I said, thank you very much, dude, you just ruined my day. But I was wrong. He didn't ruin my day. He ruined my whole life. Because that day in that 45 minute drive from Virginia Beach, Virginia back to Williamsburg, the Holy Spirit was in that car with me and my girlfriend and he broke my heart. <laughs> and I got back home and I went upstairs in my bedroom and I found an old track that I'd found at a gas station on a toilet that I'd stuck in my jeans. And on the back of that track, it said, this is how you become a Christian. And that day in my, in my upstairs room in Newport News, Virginia, 1976, Jesus Christ absolutely transformed my life. Amen. And God changed me. That's been a long time. So let me take you through a brief journey of what's happened since then. As soon as I, got, I prayed that prayer, I got up and I went to the barber shop. My father was a barber. It wasn't good to have a father who's a barber in the 70s because you don't really need your hair cut in the 70s. So I stayed away from my father. We didn't have much of a relationship because every time I got around him, all I could hear is the scissors clipping. So I avoided my dad and we didn't have a good relationship. But that day, I went down to the barber shop and I sat down in that chair and I said, Daddy, I want you to take it all off. And my dad knew what that meant to me. And he knew that something happened as he's cutting my hair. We're both just weeping and crying because that symbol symbolized what God had already done in my life. He'd already been take, began to take the things out of my life. Now I have nothing against long hair. In fact, I wished I could have some now. So I'm not criticizing long hair. But that part of my life, it was, a, it was a point of rebellion for me. Well, God saved me. And then uh, about, I, went in, I got to the Nazarene church. Uh, I started going there and when I went there, there was a guy there that loved on me. He was a discipler. He actually cared about people that were lost, and he wanted to pour his life into people like me. I had dropped out of high school in the eighth grade. I had no formal education. I probably had a sixth grade reading level, maybe fifth. 
but I dropped out of high school in the eighth grade because I got involved with gangs and drugs and alcohol, and I just didn't go to school. And um, I went to, to night classes for 10 weeks and got a GED. And then uh, this guy, his name was Les, he, he said, you need to apply for a college. When he said that, the next week the preacher, the pastor's name was Glenn Bond, he said, uh, Mark, I want you to give the message next Sunday night. Well, for heaven's sakes, I'd only been a Christian for three months. I thought, this guy's lost his mind. He wants me to give a message in front of, I mean, it scared me to death. I had to stand up in front of like 18 people and talk. It scared the life out of me. I couldn't believe he did it. Because for me, if, if, if I get to come to your church, just let me come and mop the floors because I'm not worthy of anything. Everybody I saw in the church was like a holy saint and I was a rotten sinner. I was worthless in the sight of God and man. And when he said that to me, it just messed with me. I'll never forget standing up that night on a Sunday night, all those people, all 19 of them, and I heard a voice while I was speaking say, you're going to do this the rest of your life. It was so real that I turned to look and no one was there. And that was when God called me to ministry. Then I, I sent an application in to Trevecca and they accepted an eighth grade dropout with a GED. <laughs> Thank God <laughs> they accepted me. I don't know what would have happened in my life had that not happened. So I went off to Trevecca and then off to seminary. And then from there I was a youth pastor for nine years. And then I pastored in, uh, in Arkansas, St. Louis, Albuquerque, and Kansas City. Uh, and and then my, my life had a dramatic change about two years ago when I was called to come and be the director of evangelism for the Church of the Nazarene. Uh, I was driving to Kansas City in the Holy Spirit. I was talking to God, and I, I like talking to God. Do you like talking to God? I mean, I think it's really fun talking to God. I mean, I meet some Christians, it's like they think it's boring talking to the living God. How is that possible? And I, I was talking to God, and I said, Lord, where do you want me to go to church when I come to Kansas City? First church, college church? You know, there's so many good options because you want to have a nice place for your wife to go when you're traveling. And the Lord said, you're going to go to a, a black church in the urban core of Kansas City. And I said, but, but I'm white. <laughs> he said, I know that. I said, well, that's fine. I said, which church? He said, it's not started. You're going to plant it. <laughs> and when he told me that, I rebuked him in the name of Jesus. I <laughs> I said, there's no way, I'm traveling 27 days a month, there's no way possible, it's impossible that I could plant a church and only be home three days a month. And you know what God said? He said, that's why I'm asking you to do it. I'm tired of you doing stuff that's possible. I'm tired of you doing stuff that can be explained by your gifts, your skills, your talents, and your abilities. I want you to do something that I can show up and show off in your life on. That's what he told me. So I planted a church, and I'll tell you the rest of that story at a later date. But I want to talk to you about the grace of God and how it's impacted my life and how it can impact your life. So uh, let's, let's get into this story. I want, there are lots of different types of grace. Uh, there's grace that gives you life. That's, you remember, that happened when God created man in, 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 his, in his own image. And there he laid, back in Genesis, right? There he was. Now, the fact that he created him was by grace. He didn't have to do that. It was his own desire and appetite to create a, a, a human being. And then there we laid. And, all, and the only way we came alive was because of what? He breathed into us the breath of life and we became a living soul. That's grace. While we couldn't walk and talk. In fact, when I get up in the morning, I have a hard time getting out of bed without thanking God for my legs. Because I've been around people that don't have any. And I read this quote the other day. It said, if you woke up this morning and all you had left is what you praised God for, what would you have? If you woke up this morning and all you had left is what you praised God for yesterday, what would you have? And so I, I, I just... 
I just think we ought to be grateful for His grace. And so there are lots of types of grace, and I don't want to be limiting in it, but I want to talk to you about four types of grace that impacted my life. And I believe that every person in this room is in one of those levels of grace right now. You're experiencing grace at one of these levels. So I want to talk to you about the first one. The first one is prevenient grace. Prevenient grace. That's what I mentioned earlier when I said my faith journey started on July the 22nd, 1959. See, prevenient grace is that grace that goes before we were sinners. You know what prevenient grace is, right? I think everybody here knows what prevenient grace is. Here, here's what, let me give you a couple of examples. First of all, prevenient grace was the love of a good church. When I was really, really lost and really, really messed up, I'll never forget, the first time I had ever done any, any cocaine, I was in my bedroom and I was about 14 years old. And I was all alone, and I think I did too much, and I thought I was going to die. I really was going to die. I was scared to death. I had never done that before. I'd never experienced that. And I want you to know that I never experienced it again. That was the only time I'd ever tried that. I'm in my bed, and I thought I'm going to die. I think I'd overdosed, and I heard a knock on the door. And I looked out my window, and it was Brother Bond, the pastor of the Nazarene Church. Oh, no, I'm about to die. I know I'm going to go to hell. And the preacher shows up at that moment. That's prevenient grace. That's God reaching out to, to us before we ever knew him. So the love of a good church. Uh, Christmas and Easter, I'll never forget. I remember when I was a little boy, they had me come when I was a teenager, maybe 13, 14 years old. They invited me to a youth group. It was called NYPS then. I was invited to NYPS, and they showed this video, this movie. It was called A Distant Thunder, and it scared me to death. It talked about the second coming and it had these pictures of people disappearing in the middle of the night and, 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 and the, only the believers left, went and the Christians were the only ones saved. And it scared me to death when I was a teenager. That just, that just frightened me. That was provenient grace. Because in my life, when I got worse and worse in my life, those things I remembered. And that kind of made me think about God. But all this time, I want you to know, all this time, God was drawing. He was using all those incidents to draw me to him and to try to make me become a person of God. I remember visits from the pastor. I remember youth camps and vacation Bible schools. Uh, God's prevenient grace. Probably my best memory of prevenient grace was one day when I was home and I was very high. I was about 16 years old. This was just before I became a Christian. And I was sitting at home watching television. And back then, we, we didn't have the kind of televisions we have today. Back then we had these televisions that had these two little knobs on them. Does anybody remember? One was UHF and one was VHF. Do you all remember those? And on, I, think on the, I think the VHF one had the 1 through 13. And then UHF, when you got to the U, you had to kind of, you had to kind of zero it in to find a station. Does anybody remember doing that? It was mostly snow on there, but every now and then you could pull a channel in. Well, I was watching the Brady Bunch, which I hated because I thought they were a bunch of nerds. But my sisters liked it. So I asked Esther, my sister, would you, Esther was a Christian, would you change a channel? I'd like to watch Gilligan's Island. So she went up to change a channel, and she's, and she's standing there, and she puts it up to the U, and then she starts zeroing in. And all she could find was Pat Robinson, the 700 Club. Here's this guy preaching right in the middle of this, and my, daughter, my sister says, oh, i got to go to the bathroom. And she runs off to the bathroom, and I've never seen anybody stay in the bathroom 25 minutes in my life. But that day she did, and that is called prevenient grace. I had to sit there and listen to that crazy preacher talk to my face for 25 minutes. I don't know about you, but if you're not where you need to be with Jesus, I want you to know that God's prevenient grace is working on you. And if you're that person, you absolutely know that that's working on you. And he's drawing you and he's wooing you because he wants, you know, God doesn't want one person to go to hell, not even one. Aren't you glad for that? 
I just think that's wonderful. There's a room in heaven for everyone. In fact, the Bible says it's not his will that even one perish. So I love to say that God, the most important number of the Bible is this one, zero. That's how many people God wants in hell and every person on the planet he wants in heaven. Aren't you glad for that if you are? Say amen. amen. He wants every, and he's working to try to get everyone in. We fight it, I fought it, but that prevenient grace was in my life and God used so many things to draw me until that moment when I found Christ when I, when I became a Christian at age almost 18. The second thing is the witness of courageous Christians. The witness of courageous Christians. Um, I told you about uh, the gentleman at Virginia Beach. I think about him a lot. Uh, that, that told me that I might be one of the few that might not make it to heaven. I'd been around the church a lot, but no one had ever told me that. Mrs. Lloyd loved me. She was kind to me. But she never, she never made me think about my eternal soul. She was just nice to me. This guy actually told me the truth, and, and, and it I thank God for him because I've never seen him since. And th probably this kid, he probably did that. And he probably, his preacher probably told him to go tell somebody about Jesus. And this guy didn't know any better but to do it. And he went and did it. And, and, he, and he got cussed out and yelled at. I imagine he probably went back to his preacher the next day. And he says, is that what I get when I witness? Is that what I get when I share my faith? I'm never doing that again. I hope he didn't do that. Because I want to tell you something, when you allow the Holy Spirit to flow through you like that, something's going to happen. Amen. Something's going to change. God's going to do something for your life. And that happened in my life. So courageous Christians, a witness of courageous people. Um, I could tell you so many stories, um, but mostly the wooing of God's Spirit, uh, John 6, 44. The second, that's provenient grace. How many of you can say, I remember God's provenient grace drawing me before I was a Christian? Raise your hand. You remember that? You remember him pulling, trying to get you in. Amen. See, I think he's doing that right now. I think he's doing that all over the city. I think he's doing that right, th right here in this service today. God's spirit. God wants you. He's pursuing you. The Bible says the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It's almost like it's this surface-to-air missile pursuing an airplane. It's just on it. It's not going to stop until it gets it. That's how God's Spirit is reaching for us and drawing us and trying to bring us in. And I'll never forget that sensation as a Christian. The second kind of grace is called saving grace. I want to read you a passage of Scripture about that in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. Here's what it says. This is from the New King James Version. It says, For the grace of God that brings salvation, he's talking about saving grace. What does it do? What does saving grace do, according to Titus? It says, It has appeared to all people, Somebody say amen. amen. Saving grace has been offered to all people. That's exciting. He says, and it teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly passions, and we should live upright, godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? That's what saving grace does. Saving grace, I love this, it teaches us to say no. I remember when I first became a Christian, I had all kinds of sins in my life. But the very day that I prayed that prayer, I, from that day till this, I haven't touched alcohol, not even once. I just don't like it anymore. It just it messed up my life. It got me into other things. It was a mess. It was bad for me. I didn't drink anymore. I'm sorry, I did. I drank twice. I did drink alcohol twice. It was at a communion service at a church in Williamsburg. <laughs> they served wine instead of grape juice. I didn't have it twice in the same service, just so you'll know. <laughs> I came back twice, not in the same week, but I had alcohol twice. I have not touched any woman except my wife after I'm married, and only her I've been married 37 years. Isn't that amazing what God can do? He develops, he creates faithfulness in us when we, when we come to him. 
So the question is, are you experiencing this saving grace? If you haven't experienced the saving grace, it's very simple to do that. I love what John 3.16 says. It says, it says God so loved, say it with me. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. The fact, God loves us. Somebody say amen. amen. He loves, that's the fact. He loves us. And he loves us so much he gave his son for us. How many of you would give your child for me before, you met, before I was a Christian? I don't think I've ever met anybody yet that would. But God would. That's pretty good love. He gave a son for me. And it says, whoever believes in him. So the second point is believing in him. Do you believe in him? That's what happens when you become a Christian. But you have to repent and say you're sorry. And then you believe. And believe means I accept what God says about life over what I think about life. I accept what God says about life over what I desire in my life. I accept what God says about life over what everyone else says about life. So the fact is, God loves us. The, the act, he gave us only son. The pact, here's the pact. This is the important part. This is where we can kind of get together and make a deal. Whoever believes, anybody, what's the caveat? You just have to believe. That means you believe that what he says about life is better than what you say. I know that happened to me when I was at that beach that day on the way home. I know that when I got back to my bed that day and I knelt down and I pulled that track out, I had to make a decision. It's really a simple decision. Either there's a God or there isn't. It was that simple. And if there's a God, I want to know him. If there's not, I'm not interested. That was a simple decision I made that day that changed my life forever. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't it great that God has made enough room in heaven for every person on the planet? Amen? I want you to turn to the person next to you and look at them. I'm going to have you say something real quick. Come on, you've got to participate. Remember, you give me a few more minutes here to preach. Look at somebody next to you and say, say this to them. Say, there's room for you. There's room for every person on the planet in heaven. It's not his will that any perish. Somebody say, praise God. That's just good news for me. Many people have entered the church without repentance. See, one of the things we've done in the United States is we've raised up a lot of churchmen, but not as many Christians. Because there hasn't been a true repentance, and there hasn't been a transformation of their lives. I want to tell you, it'd be a miserable thing. I've been in the church for a long time now. It'd be a miserable thing for me to come to church on a regular basis knowing that there's something in my life that is, that is not pleasing to God. And I keep coming with that thing. The guilt and the shame that would overwhelm me. I couldn't imagine that. But I want you to know that nobody has to ever live that way. Amen. Because if we repent and ask God to forgive us, he will take away our sins. Amen. Praise God. John says, he says I write these things that you sin not. Somebody say, praise God. God doesn't want us to. We don't have to fail God. If that's good news to you, say amen. See, the best news to me at all when I became a Christian was when I found out I don't have to keep using drugs. I don't have to keep lying. I don't have to keep being unfaithful to God. I don't have to, I don't have to keep destroying my body. I don't have to. That God's power is greater than that. Isn't that good news? Man, it just was amazing to me. When I, when I speak in the streets down in Kansas City, I talk about Christian holiness because those people have been told all their lives they have to sin every day, forever. No matter what happens, they have to keep sinning and sinning and sinning. That the power of God is not as powerful as, a, as the power of Satan. And I believe that God's power is more powerful. If you believe that, say amen. amen. See, see, God gives us life and holiness and Satan gives us death and it's sin. And God's power is greater. Do you believe that? If so, say amen again. See, our whole, the whole biblical foundation of faith is that God wins. He's greater than Satan. I love that. Well, belief in Jesus is the second thing. Third grace. Ready for this one? This one's cool. 
sanctifying grace. John 17, 19, Jesus says to his disciples, I sanctify myself so that you can be truly sanctified. And when we talk about sanctifying grace, some people, they don't like talking about it because it sounds like that we have to do better. You don't have to do better. <laughs> we get to be better because we get more of God, more of his spirit. I, when I was a Christian, now I'd been a Christian at this point for probably, I'd say maybe, um, I don't know, about six months. And I thought everything was wonderful. I'd stop drinking. I'd stop smoking. I'd stop chewing. I'd stop running with women that do. I mean, I, I was just doing great. And one day I was driving down the street. And I'm an excited Christian. In fact, I had Christian music blaring on my TV. Y'all ever, I mean, on radio. Did y'all ever do that? Driving around, I got some kind of, I think it was uh, one of those old Gaither things. They were singing some song. And, and back in the day, Gaither was really contemporary. I mean, he was. And uh, I was listening to that. I was jamming and celebrating and praising God. And, you know, so sometimes you can get to worshiping and you can forget how fast you're driving. Does that ever happen to any of you guys? Well, I, di- I didn't speed. I was actually going too slow. And so I'm driving along. Some guy comes up behind me and almost runs into me. And then he goes around me to pass me. And as he passes me, he, he gives me some kind of nonverbal communication with his hand. And it wasn't the whole hand. It was like one digit. And I didn't understand this. So I just kind of, I just don't keep on worshiping. Then he pulls around me and he gets in front of me, slams on his brakes. And he did it again through his back windshield. He gave me some nonverbal communication with his hand. And something happened to me. Something in me that I didn't know was in me rose up. Something very nasty and dirty. And I became angry and my face turned red. And I got around and I pulled back beside him and I looked over to him. And I I rolled my window and I said, you got a problem? I'll fix it for you. Come up here, let's talk. And I got sped up and he wouldn't follow me. And I backed up. I said, come on, let's talk. I mean, I, I had lost my mind. I pulled over about a mile down the street. I got out of my car. I opened my trunk. I got my crowbar. I stood out in the middle of the street. And I, and I, I dared him to stop. But he didn't stop. He sped up and started going around. I threw the, the crowbar and busted his windshield. And he still kept on going. And I'm standing in that street. And it hits me. This has happened to you. It may not have been throwing of a crowbar. But some temptation that you've resisted and that you've, you've pushed off that you've avoided something in your life that you know you shouldn't do. And all of a sudden, one day, that thing rises up and it takes control of you and you go, what is that and who am I? It scared me because I thought, I I can't be a Christian and act like that. That's not what God wants me to be like. And I was so broken. And I I, I was broken and ashamed. I was ready to quit my faith. I was ready to give up because I I thought I'd been saved and God had changed me. But there was still something in me, some some old man, some carnal, evil thing that had been kind of suppressed and I'd been pushing it down. And And I knew that I needed more of God. And I didn't know if I could get it. I went to a camp and the preacher preached on sanctification. His name was Stuart McWhorter. Anybody ever heard of Stuart McWhorter? He preached on sanctification. You know what he said? He said, if you want to be sanctified, you got to die. Die? And I had this vision. You ever had a vision? It's kind of weird. It wasn't like I'm like sleeping or something. I just had this idea run through my mind. And this vision was, I had an uncle. His name was Kenneth. Kenneth was, he was, he, he was an old, nasty man that did drugs and alcohol and chased girls. And he had pornography always in his car. I had this vision of what would happen 
Kenneth had been dead at this time when I heard this sermon. Kenneth had been dead probably at this point for probably about 10 years. And I had this idea that what if we brought Kenneth and went out and just dug his old nasty body out of the grave and brought him in here and flapped him right here on, the, on, the, on, the, on this table. And went over to Kenneth and we brought some kind of a pornographic picture and waved it in front of his eyes. He's not going to go, whoa. No, he's going to be nothing. He, he doesn't, it, doesn't even, it doesn't affect him. You know why? Because he's dead. And I thought, what if we, yeah, pornography, one thing. How about some marijuana? Get some of that good Colombian red bud and blow it in his face. He's going to, no. <laughs> if you do that, he's just going to, nothing. You know why? Because he's dead. And I thought, well, we'll get, you know, he, he liked that Johnny Walker stuff, you know, that alcohol. So he took a bottle of Johnny Walker. Just pour it right down his throat. He's like, no. Nothing. You know why? Because he's dead. I saw that visual when this preacher preached on sanctification. And I thought, boy, if that's possible, if it's possible that I could get whatever that was that rose up on that street that day, and I could get that thing out of me, and I could kill that thing where it doesn't rise up again. Oh, God, I want that. And I remember going to the altar that day, and I, I just poured everything out of me that was ever in me. And the Holy Spirit came in and did something, gave me a power. That has never happened to me again for now about 34 years. Would you say praise God? That's what God does in our lives. The last grace I want to talk to you about is keeping grace. This is a tough one. But before we do, I want to show you a video of someone that kind of exemplifies what I'm talking to you about, how God's grace has influenced her life. It's the, it's the video of Jenny. Do you have that on? This first week of the new year, an inspiring story that you can change for the better. An Albuquerque woman who grew up under the roughest of circumstances and did three stints in prison has overcome the odds, even graduating from UNM. Tonight, her total transformation. The card you're dealt with in life isn't always a win-win. Sometimes the deck is stacked against the most precious and innocent. I was born right here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Jenny Noriega had a hard knock life from her first breath. I really never knew that life for me was any different than any other kid. Born to an alcoholic mother and abandoned, Jenny was sent to live with her father in a van in California. He was very abusive and I lived in fear. She was molested at age five and quit school in the seventh grade. I took my first hit of crack cocaine when I was 11 years old, right here on Central. Drugs, alcohol, and crime consumed her life. By the time I was on 16, I was on New Mexico's Most Wanted. Um, by the time I was 19, I had been arrested 24 times as a juvenile. Jenny did three years of hard time in grants for battery. She started using and selling dope again after prison. My addiction got really bad. In my heart of hearts, I knew that there was a different life. For me, it was like the depths of my soul wanted to be clean. Jenny had been addicted and pregnant. She had her ups and downs, her encounters with faith, but one day she had enough. I prayed like I've never prayed before, ever. And I cried like somebody had died. And I was weeping sorrowfully from the depths of my soul. And I promise you, that day, March the 6th, 2005, I stood up and I was completely delivered from a 19-year drug addiction. Thank God. Like that. 
It's a story of redemption. Jenny is now a pastor at ABQ Central Sandia Church of the Nazarene. And many of you have had a combination of good and bad events in your life. The good events have taken over. Jenny is sober, has a strong family, graduated from CNM in social work, and now UNM with psychology and Africana studies. Here I sit, you know, um, ready to start my master's. Her ministry works the streets, the same streets she left. That's the hope in which I live for, is seeing lives change. From darkness, there can be a beacon of light. Now 41, Jenny estimates she's spent almost a decade locked up, but she tells her story of triumph now as a pastor and motivational speaker. I wanted you to see that story because Jenny, I had the privilege of praying for her last June and she was ordained in Kansas City District. And she's, yeah, praise God. She's in full-time ministry. She's in our church in Kansas City. She just sent me a text on Tuesday. She said, Pastor, I just led 15 ladies to Christ today. That's, she's, praise God. She's experiencing the grace of God. So the last type of grace I want to talk to you about is God's keeping grace. Jude, Jude verse 24, says that his, he is able to keep you from falling. Well, that's a pretty bold claim, isn't it? I think most of us would say that's not been our story. But the Word of God says He is able. Here's the thing about God. He doesn't really demand anything of anyone. We all have free will. We can choose what we get. But if you could get all of God, why would you just want a little? If you could have it all, why would you just take a little bit? Why wouldn't we just go ahead and take it all? I thank God for His keeping grace. I'm going to talk to you about that later on this week, but I want to stay, share a couple things about how we can get this keeping grace and keep it in our life once we've been received his, his, his salvation and His Spirit. Number one, stay intimate with the one who provides it. I think for most Christians, the greatest sin of the church today is that we don't pray. Thank God I've heard that you have prayed. I've heard that you've been praying on a regular basis, and I thank God for that. But I'm sure there's some here that haven't had personal intimate prayer with God. In fact, for many years in my life, I was serving God and I was praying, but I didn't have intimacy. And I wouldn't have known God's voice from any other voice because I was so caught up in all the things of the church. Sometimes even the church become, can become something that hinders us from being the people of God. Probably not this church, but I've been in churches that would. I want to just say that intimate prayer is progressive. Here's what I mean by that. Remember me telling you about my trip up to Kansas City in the Penske truck when God told me to plant a, plant a church in the urban core? That's impossible. I didn't think it was possible. I want to tell you that sometimes the things that God calls us to seem impossible. How many of you would say, I've experienced that? I've, I've experienced, God called me probably every day. God calls me stuff that I think, that's not possible. And you know what? He does that on purpose. You know why he does that? He does it because he wants you to come back to him to get the resources and the tools and the gifts and the power to do the thing that he calls you to. Because he wants to be in your life. He's like a parent. I've got two little girls. Man, I just want to be around them. I'll do about anything to get around them. Like I tell people all the time, money isn't everything, but it sure helps keep the kids in touch. <laughs> I'll just give them anything, man, because I just like being with them. I had a call from my daughter this morning from Atlanta, FaceTime, and I saw my little grandbaby, and I'd just about do anything to be around them. I just want you to know that that's how God feels about you. He'll do just about anything to get around you. 
I want to I close the service today. I want to close it by asking you to bow your heads and close your eyes. I want to ask you a couple of questions. I want you to just respond. This is a chance for you to respond again and shorten up the message. <laughs> We're just about done. How many of you would, you would say, I've experienced God's provenient grace, but I'm not sure that I'm in the place I ought to be spiritually? Would you just slip your hand up? No one's looking around. I want you to, uh, your anonymity will be honored. Would you just raise your hand real high? I'm not sure that I'm in the right place I need to be spiritual. There's some, probably some things in my life that God has been trying to expose and reveal to me, and, and I probably need to make some changes. Just raise your hand all over the place. I want to see your hand. Just, just put them up high. Are you, don't be ashamed. This is the safest place on the planet, up in the balcony. Anybody would say, there's some things in my life that I know God's grace has been drawing and pulling me towards and trying to get me out of. Anybody else? Raise your hand. Thank you. You can put your hands down. I want you to remember that question. See, I believe that God's provenient grace is working even in this very moment as we're talking. His grace is working on you, trying to draw you. He wants to, he wants to be in your life more. He wants more of Him to be in you. The second question. How many of you would say, I've been saved, I know I'm a Christian, but when you shared a moment ago that God calls you stuff that you're not able to live up to, that's me, that happens to me. There are things that God's asking me to do that I just haven't gotten done yet, and things God's telling me not to do that I'm, that I'm getting done, and, and I need more of God's power. Would you just slip your hand up? Thank you. All over the place. Raise them up real high. I want to see your hands. Okay, thank you very much. Last question. You've been serving God. Maybe you've been filled with the Spirit. You've been walking in faith, but your faith has gotten kind of stale and stagnant. There's no life and energy, and there's no juice in your faith anymore. It's kind of like you're just doing church, and you're just doing faith. You've not lost your faith, but, but you need more of that keeping grace. If you're that person, would you slip your hand up real quick? Just raise it up. I need more of God's keeping grace. I need more of that power, more of that strength. I need to be stronger in my faith. I need more of Him. I need to learn how to walk in, in liberty and in victory every day. Thank you very much. You can put your hands down. I'm going to ask if the, 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 someone could come and play something on maybe the keyboard. I'd like to close the service this morning with, a, with an invitation. Before we do, I'd like for you all to stand. And there's a prayer that I'd like for us to pray. It's a prayer that was written by a sanctified guy, I believe, who experienced all four of these graces, and I believe he understood keeping grace. I want you to read this with me out loud before we close the service. It's John Wesley's covenant prayer. Let's read it together. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing, put me to suffering. Let me be employed by you or laid aside for you, exalted for you or brought low by you. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. Freely and heartily yield all things to you, your pleasure and disposal. And now, O glorious and blessed God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are mine and I am yours. I'd like for you to bow your heads and I'm going I'm to give, I'd like to pray with you. I mean, I'd like to pray with every one of you personally, if I could. Don't know if we'll be able to. Maybe by the end of the week we would have that chance. But today I'd like to invite you. If you raised your hand this morning for any of those requests, I'd like for you to take a step, and you know who you are, out of your seat and come down here and just kneel. We have a thing in the church called altars, and we think that the altar sanctifies the gift. 
Those of you that said, you know, I, I need, I, I know I felt God's provenient grace. And maybe I haven't responded like I should. And I feel him drawing me even in this moment. Would you just come? You raised your hand. Would you come down and kneel? That's right. Just come on down. If you're in the balcony and you're like, we're going we're gonna to have a time of prayer together. Please feel safe in this place. This is his place. These are, you know that there's been a, people praying for you for like six months, asking God to prepare your heart and our hearts so that when this moment happens, that there would be a response and the Holy Spirit would move in our hearts and draw us to this place of transformation. There are others of you that said, I've been saved, but I lack the power of God's Spirit. I need more of His Spirit. I need more. I want God to come and do something in my life that would empower me with His Spirit. I want Him to sanctify me, and maybe again, sanctify me again. Give me more of His presence, more of His power, more of His anointing. Would you just come down? Guys, this is a time for us to let God work. We're not in a hurry. The, the food will be fine. Probably most of us need to fast for lunch anyway. <laughs> I know I do. Would you come? I know, that, I know that God's been speaking. You know, you know why I know God's been speaking to many of you? Because in my prayers for now several months, I've been fasting and praying about two days a week for you. And I've, I've seen some of your faces in my prayers. It's <laughs> just funny how God does that. He's put some of your faces in my prayers. And I don't know what he's saying to you or what he's doing in your life, but I know that he's, he's, he's trying to draw us all to a place because you know his goal for us is that we be like Jesus. Last request, and then we're going to close the service. Have you say, I know I'm not living like Jesus, but if that were possible, I'd like to. Raise your hand if you're in the congregation. Just, I'm, not, I'm not living like Jesus like I'd like to, but if it's possible, I'd like to. Would you raise your hand? Thank you. We're going to have a prayer together. If you're here today and you've, you've been serving God, but you've, but you've not living in that dynamic, vibrant faith that you know you need to live in, and you'd like to come and pray, we're going to close the service. And I'd like some of you Christians to come and gather around. Would you just now find some people? And sometimes at the altars, you'll find the, some of the most godly people praying and others come to pray for them. I want you to come and pray for them. The people of God, place your hand on someone's shoulder. And I just want you to pray that God will do in their lives what, what they're asking Him to do. Would you come forward just now? Believers, Christians, well, this is God's family. Come and uh, there ought to be some hand on the shoulder of every person down here. And if there's not enough men to go around and women to go around, just put your hand on someone else. And we're going to close this service today with prayer. Or you're listening on the radio, I uh, just want you to kind of just go ahead and be seated and kind of relax for a moment because we're going to just pray up here at the altar. If you need to come and pray, it's never too late. As we're praying, if you feel God uh, kind of drawing you to come forward, uh, please, please come and do that. We're not in any hurry at all. You may be seated. Tonight, um, I want to talk to you about what's the first thing, natural thing that happens when someone really gets right with God. I hope you'll come and, and learn with us together. We'll get back into the Word. But those of you at the altar right now, I want you just to pray for the people that are there with you. Would you just pray? Place your hand on someone's shoulder and just pray, God, would you do in them what they wish you to do and what you've called them? And I'd like to lead us in a time of prayer together. Father in heaven, in the mighty and the strong and the magnificent, the awesome name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, thank you today that you've been faithful. You've been drawing all of us, Lord. You've been trying to woo us into your presence. 
You want us to be so useful and so effective and so productive, Lord, that we need more of you to do it. There are many, Lord, that are here praying today that, Lord, they've, they've sensed you drawing them. Maybe some that are on the radio or some listening to this casting. Maybe some people in the balcony or in this congregation that are sitting there and they're thinking, I, I know I needed more of God, but I don't want to come forward. I don't want to, I don't want to express myself publicly. But, but God, would you do something in my heart today? I've sensed your provenient grace reaching me, and I've rejected it, and I've said no, but I want to say yes. Oh, God, I remember. I remember sitting in services as a young man twice a year, knowing that I was going down a bad path, and it probably wouldn't end well for me, but my flesh was so much more strong, it was so much stronger than the Spirit of God in me. I pray that you'd help every person under the voice right now, my voice, Lord, that, that they would remember right now, they would realize as they leave this place today, Lord, that you're able to make them the chosen, blessed, gifted people of God. That you'll forgive them of every shortcoming that they've ever had. In an instant. They don't have to live in shame for three months and prove anything to you. In an instant, in a moment of I'm sorry, one moment of I'm sorry, your Holy Spirit comes and fills us and empowers us to be able to live the kind of life that you've called us to live. I pray in Jesus' holy name right now that you would bless those who are here who might say, I'm not sure I'm one of those few that would make it to heaven. I want to pause this prayer and ask if you're listening either in this place or on some kind of radio format. And you, you, you would say, as I did, when that guy told me, are you going to be one of the few? You say, I'm not sure I'm going to be one of the few that makes it to heaven, but I want to be. Would you just raise your hand? You're in the congregation. I'm not sure, but I'd like to be sure. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I just want to know who to pray for because we've got a week of services. I'd like to pray for you. You'd say, I'm not sure that I'm going to be one of the few, but I want to be. And if I can, I, I want to be. Slip your hand up, would you please? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Others in the balcony, I'd like to pray for you. Thank you very much. I'll pray for you. I see your hands. Thank you. It's just beginning for us. God's got good things ahead. Let's go back and finish our prayer. Father, for those who are serving you, and I can sense today in this place there are many, many godly people, and many of them are here at these altars, not because they're afraid of hell, not because they're worried about God's wrath, but because they want to be more useful. They want to be more productive. They want to be more effective, God. They want to make a difference, Lord, on the planet. And they, they feel like they have a lack of power, a lack of, of joy or, or excitement about their faith. And somehow the cares of the world have kind of choked out their faith. But you're here today, Lord, to break those chains, to loosen those bonds and hold us down. And, and you want to liberate us so that we can be the people of God that you've called us to be. I pray that you would bring power and anointing, energy, strength, purity, grace, and mercy into our lives. And as we wait in these moments, Lord, help us to listen as you speak to us. Because your word says that you would send us the Holy Spirit, a counselor that would be a guide for us. 
Lord, we don't want to just come to an altar and have a time of prayer and leave. We want you to guide us into the next level of our faith, into the new journeys that you have prepared for us that we've not even begun to see yet. Lord, some of the most godly people I've ever met are dying every day and finding new ways to serve you, and you're doing amazing things in their lives. And I believe that you're doing that in this place. So I pray that you would help us to tune our heartstrings to Jesus. Help us to listen as you speak to us throughout this week. We love you very much, Father. Thank you for this time and for this week. We can't wait to get to know our brothers and sisters and get to know this community. I believe you've got amazing things you want to do. Lord, you're looking for a flagship church in Canada. Why not this one? You're looking for flagship Christians, Lord. Why not those that are here today? I pray that you'd raise up a mighty army of God's people that when the devil wakes up tomorrow, he's going to go, oh, no, not them. We love you in Jesus' name.